Now if I do it again, I'm faking it. Hey everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 443 being recorded on March 29th, 2017. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walbreth. And I'm Alan Malpentano. There we go. Uh, it's close enough. That's what we're going to call it. That's the beginning of the show. That's what we're going to do. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it has been another week, apparently, mm. in computer hardware. And apparently storage things happened. Not a whole lot else, but some storage things happened, I guess. I yeah. so we're going to talk we're going to talk to Alan for a little bit today. Hey, hey, we we can talk about eventually, you know, no glove, no love. Excuse me. I I mean, you know, a navy guy should know that at least. <laughs> no, we got plenty of gloves on the submarine. Well, I think well, the you assumption just would be that if you skin. don't never mind. The gloves are textured. <laughs> <laughs> We missed you last week, Josh. We missed you last I, week. I missed being here. Uh, I missed feeling human, too. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. So we do record the show um, for you to watch and view for your viewing pleasure uh, at pcpro.com slash live on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, you can come and hang out in the chat room and talk to us and yell at us and uh, see what all the crap we screw up before the show actually starts recording and what's crap we screw up after the show is done recording. Uh, and if you need a little reminder, if you if you don't if you're never quite sitting in front of your computer Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, you can sign up for a little mailing list at pcper.com/slash/subscribe. You get this form here uh, that basically asks for your name and email address. We send the notification beforehand to say, "Hey, we're going to do a podcast. Don't forget, dummy." And uh, then you click on the link and you come visit us. And that's pretty much all there is to it. We also have our ongoing Patreon campaign, uh, which I didn't bring a link up for, so we'll, you'll just have to picture it in your mind. Patreon.com/slash PC. Per imagine Josh in a bathtub and imagine all of us sitting on a couch. You don't have together. to imagine. You have photographic evidence. That's true. If you want it, there you go. That's even better. If you want to see the picture of Josh in the bathtub, <laughs> you have to go to Patreon.com/slash/PCPer, and uh, that is your ability to directly contribute to us. If you think anything we do is worth a damn, and we greatly appreciate everybody who contributes to us through us there. And um, if you are a new Patrons, a uh, new Patreon patron. I was mm-hmm. going to say subscriber. That's not right. If you're a new patron uh, and you sign up during the live stream, I will call out your name uh, and thank you on the, uh, on the stream. And if you increase your pledge, we'll do that as well. So I say now we jump into things to talk about. Uh, this this we've had this for too long. It was a review that had been sitting in our, our product had been sitting in our office for a, a while. And finally I made Sebastian do it. Um, this is the phononic hex 2.0 thermoelectric CPU cooler. I, I feel like we actually had a really, a pretty good discussion about this product. Just when we saw the announcement come through, yep. um, this is what it looks like. It's a pretty big heat sink. Um, <clears throat> But you'll With notice a USB port on it. It has a USB port. It's got your standard <laughs> four pin uh, uh, fan header. There is a fan inside this black shroud um, that that moves air through the uh-huh. through the heatsink. And then and there's this six pin PCI Express power connection. Yeah, as well. And you go hmm, that's, makes, the, makes the GPU on your CPU that's go faster. Odd. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So uh, I I'm not the scientist that invented uh, thermoelectric, as I don't think anybody is here, but um, the, this is, it's not a simple heat sink. It's not just a normal heat, um, pipe implementation. 
It's um, pumping the heat away, if you know what actively. I mean. Actively. Yes. Right. And actually, the Hex 2.0 features an active-passive design, which is odd, but it is a combination of both of those. So the, the thermoelectric uh, solid-state heat pump actually moves the, the heat away from the CPU at the cost of additional electric and heat to some degree, right? Um, and it's all a matter of, of what the balance is. Josh, did you have any experience with like thermoelectric coolers from like way back in the day? Because they were Yeah, back popular. in the day, they, they were f- a lot more common because mm-hmm. uh, the TDPs of chips were much lower. So like uh, the, the original K6 was, what, a 29 to 35 watt TDP part. Yeah. And so you could actually have a, uh, a Peltier cooler that uh, you didn't need to have a uh, a cooling plate on it it could just you know sit on top of like the heat spreader of of um, the k6 or you know the pentium 2 at the time and it could it could handle that kind of heat and it could lower it you know below ambient in in certain cases but then once uh tdp's got above 65 watts and and we're talking you know anything above that uh the original uh I used that same cooler on one of the original Athlon Thunderbirds, I think running at 900 megahertz, and it wouldn't even boot up. The die would get so hot so fast, hmm. the Peltier couldn't couldn't handle that. Interesting. And so I talked to some guys, and they're like, well, actually, what you'd need to do in that case is mod it and you know, get like a, a quarter-inch copper plate, put the Peltier <laughs> on there. Uh, let that you know cool down for a little bit before you even boot up your computer, and then it'll work fine. It's like, well, that's a crappy idea, but <laughs> it looks like in the design like this that they essentially did that. They've got a cold plate, and they've got the Peltier unit, and uh, you know a lo- whole lot more control. Uh, on there than than what we had back in 1997. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about this is it's so it's not running the active stuff all of the time. Um, it, it, I'm trying to make sure I have this right uh, that it only runs it when it needs to, and that's what the USB connection is for. Is it, so it's communicating with uh, with the, uh, the the software necessary to do that now it, it's interesting because it's it's about the size of a normal heat like not a normal heat sink of a large heat sink uh about like maybe i, I call it like a mori sized heat sink mm-hmm. right yep um but you do get a pretty solid amount of cooling capability in a compact setup that is somewhat suitable for small form factor implementations Right. Anything where you couldn't get a self-contained water cooler mm-hmm. running, you could get this running. And you can see in this photo here, you know, how the how the fan is in the middle drawing through one set of fins and yeah. pushing out through the other. It's, it's, it's a neat the, implementation. It's still on the tall form factor. Like, it definitely it's, is. It's yeah. tall. It's just not, you know, it's not like the typical Mori core that would run into the RAM on the system. That, sure. It, it, it is it's small. not using a 140 mil cooler or anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's smaller than that, but uh, uh, smaller than a bread box. Um, bigger than an Intel stock cooler, <laughs> as, the, <laughs> as the saying goes. Uh, so Sebastian did this review. He did his testing on it. And, I, I, you know, none of its results look particularly exciting. Uh, you know, here's a Core i5-6600K at stock. Um, and it's, you know, it's not beating any of these, you know, the Corsair H75 or even the Noctua NHU9S uh, necessarily uh, and it's got two modes, the standard mode and the insane mode. Um, 
like cars do these days, I guess. Uh, and you can see at the overclock, even there, it's kind of like it's between. It's not as good as the Corsair H75, uh, but it is definitely showing its advantages over the air cooler in that particular instance. So, um, and I want to say it's pretty pricey. Yeah, one hundred forty-eight dollars at Amazon. So you know, it's as Sebastian notes here, it's, it's, it's really good build quality. It's overkill for a stock CPU, uh, high performance for its size, not high performance globally, but high performance for its size, uh, and low noise output from the single 92 mil fan that they're, that they're using here. And the software works well. Weaknesses is cost and the usefulness, which is a fairly sizable weakness, uh, depending on specific usage scenarios, right? So if you have a, um, specific environment, that this fits in, uh, that you need something better than a, than a stock or even a, a, a higher end air cooler can offer. It's a, it's an option for you, but you are going to pay for it. It's neat though, to kind of see somebody integrate that all into one easy to use, uh, easy to use package. So cool stuff. Uh, up next on our list, Lee, who stopped by the office today to drop off some goods. And services. Nice. Actually, he didn't drop off any services. Uh, he was dropping off hardware for uh, us to offer up for the VLAN prizes uh, coming up in the next week and a half or two weeks or so. Which I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show. Jeremy, this is your fault. Yeah, I totally forgot to put that link in there. Yeah, you did. Uh, we're having – it's on April the 8th, right? Uh, go to PCPro.com on the homepage and you'll see a listing uh, for the uh, VLAN that we're having, which is the virtual LAN party uh, that the forum guys put together. And it's always a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, Jeremy, you actually mentioned it. Just talk about it real quick about what it is and what uh, – why people should should be attending. Well, it's a hell of a lot of fun for one reason. Uh, this one is kind of neat, uh, excuse me, in that it's the 15th that we have done. And mm. it is, strangely enough, 15 years more or less since the first time we did it. Actually, it was 14 years. It was 2003. But, <laughs> it's uh, close. It's close. It, it's damn close. And it's been going for a long time. Uh, last time we averaged, I think, just over 60 guys all the time, but broke 90, 100 people easily. Uh, the list of games the last time I saw was 20 plus so if you head over to the forum and you sign up just post uh into it when you let lenny and the gang know that hey you're gonna plan to at least try and show up for a bit to sit around and play games from 10 a.m until whenever we finally drop Uh, and you can also suggest any games you might want to play uh if for some reason it's not on our list already for shame okay so if you can't just head over Sign up, figure out how to get onto their TeamSpeak server. All of the information is put together by them. Join us on the 8th. It will be a hell of a lot of fun, and you might even win something. It might even be out of Josh's closet. For God's sake. <laughs> 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 a lightly used Hitachi wand. <laughs> as long as it's signed. <laughs> Like Where's genetically or with like a <laughs> signature. Yeah. His signature is all over it, I assure you. Oh, dear Lord. If you want to do any cloning, you'll have that capability. <laughs> yes. Oh. Uh, anyway, Lee stopped by. Uh, unrelated to the review that he posted of the Silverstone SFX 800 watt uh, titanium unit here. Um, so this is an SFXL, which is small form factor, but slightly larger. <laughs> 
which always kind of... In other of, words, normal size. Uh, no, no, it's a plus size SFX. Oh. It's oh, okay. small but lengthened. Oh. You know what I mean? I see. You know, but it is t- titanium certified, so there's that. I mean, if you look at it, it's it's a small. It's still a small yeah. heat sink. It's still tiny. Uh, but you're now we're getting up into kind of like ludicrous wattage capacities for these types of power supplies, 800 watts. Um, 80 plus titanium efficiency is like amazing especially again considering the small form factor usually you see those in like the larger devices because you can get some of the higher end larger more efficient components yeah. and there are 120 mil cooling fan so that's that gives you an idea that the fan that you see installed there is 120 mil and it barely fits yeah and it kind of barely yep. fits uh inside that inside that chassis all modular flat ribbon style cables which are great for small form factor cases um, and, uh, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive stuff. Uh, and what's our, we always got to check 66 amps on the 12 volt rail. It's okay. That's, that's a lot of amps. It's all right. It'll, it'll, it'll work. Um, so why do you, why do you need an SFX power supply? You only need this really if you're getting a, uh, specific SFX chassis of which to be perfectly honest with you, there's not a whole lot of them out there. I think they sell um, adapters for SFX. Is that right, Ken? SFX to like normal size power supplies. You know, you would do that if you were already had an SFX power supply and you wanted to use it in a normal case. I don't know if you would necessarily go out of your way to, to buy that combination. Just to say you have a smaller power supply. Yeah, and, and then mount it into a larger chassis. Seems a little bit uh-huh. kind of crazy there. Well, I mean, if you've got a top-mounted rad... Uh that sort of stretches back and you're like, okay, well, I could get a 120 mil in there or a, dual, a 240 mil in there, or I could actually get yeah, a 480 true. in there if my power supply was just a little bit shorter. Yeah. Okay. Like I could that's see fair. reasons for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Uh, fully modular, flat cable design, uh, a lot of connectivity, you know, uh, looks like you've got uh, one, two, yeah, two uh, uh, graphics cards, uh, six plus eight connectors. I like to look at the inside of power supplies. You should you should count the screws. Uh, one, <laughs> two, three. Rodney strikes again. Mm-hmm. I, I will I will freely admit to feeling like that uh, when I'm talking with my daughters. We're trying to like teach her counting, and I'm like, look, one apple, two apples, and then I, you know, start to think about. Well, try not to give her a power drives. supply to disappear. To take apart to count screws. Yeah, especially one without a, a capacitor that's still fully loaded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know. What you Here, lick this, honey. <laughs> it's uh, a teachable moment. Now, the small... Yeah, it would definitely be for many people in the audience, or many people that would be standing around. Um, $180 for this power supply. That's pretty steep. Mm-hmm. It's 800 watts, which is, you know, it's good, uh, but you're really paying for the compactness of this and the titanium level efficiency. Uh, so I would say for this unit, make sure you really need it before you decide to buy it. Um, and as you can see here, the strengths and weaknesses as Lee has laid them out. Uh, weaknesses being a three-year warranty. It was a struggle to meet the 80-plus t- titanium requirements at high loads, but it did meet, meet it. Um, I almost read that it has 85 degrees Celsius bulk electrolyte capacitors, but it's actually electrolytic, not electrolytes. Oh, there's electrolytes in there. Yeah, yeah. It was like, ooh, it's like Gatorade, but don't drink them. Again, Um, don't lick the capacitors. (laughs) And uh, that SFX to ATX adapter plate is sold separately, and he mentions it's $899. So if you need that for that purpose, there you go. Uh, Now remember, Jeremy, you can lick the capacitor. It's the coil right next to it. 
capacitor holds the power. You could yeah. lick that thing until the cows Unless come Unless it's home. about to blow, you're oh, fine. Only if but, it's a 12-volt okay. capacitor. What if it's not a 12-volt capacitor? What? No, you don't, I, you don't I, want to microfarads. Capacitor. Come on, microfarads. Yeah. How big is one of those big capacitors in MF? They're, they're enough. Be like millifarads, not micro. Milla? Really? Yeah. Is it, it, is it more or less than putting a 9 volt battery on your tongue? It depends oh, on the it's far it's more. Yeah. All right, fair enough. You can really seriously, honestly hurt yourself, but okay. you know All right. what it is. You'll be able to taste colors, though. <laughs> <laughs> this one's blue. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. What's up next? Uh, Sebastian posted a review of a Lexar jump drive P20, a USB 3.0, $20 flash drive, uh, 32 gigabytes, boasts 140 megabytes per second writes, um, 60 megabytes. Oh, wait, no, hold on. No, he's talking about his old one was 60 megabytes per second. Uh, and again, 20 bucks. That's pretty cheap. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, so they claim speeds up to 400 megabytes per second read and 270 megabytes per second write. Yeah, you need a lot of flash to do that, though. Uh, so you think that would be higher capacities where you'd be able to get that? Yeah, that's yeah, the trick. Okay. I get yep. you. I get you. Um, so like uh, in terms of pricing, the 32 gig is 1973 on Amazon. The 64 gig is 2908 and the 128 gig is 49.99. I mean, that's really dang cheap for a good performing flash drive. Yeah. 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 And it's not like uh, a super bulky, like big, yeah, massive one. Yeah, like was it Kingston had that two terabyte one? I mean, it's not. <laughs> that's a little, it's, it's that's not, a little different. I it's think it's not yeah. tiny either. But like you know, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is a quick and easy one. Sebastian runs through some of the performance metrics um, where he did uh, file copies at 131 megs per sec. Oh, wait, no, hold on, wait. What is this? This yeah. is writes. Yeah. Yes, writing to it at 131, reading. Uh, at 364, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah, even for the smaller capacity that he got, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, 364 megabytes per second. Now, obviously, that's one large file being written. Yeah, or these, copied the, rather. Just generally, flash drives won't do awesome if it's like small files. But I think he's why Alan always yells at me to like zip things up as opposed to copying well, lots of yeah, lots I mean, of small files. Copy three. 30,000 files across the network. That's not exactly that. The computer should just be able to handle my workload. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I think this, um, yes, uh, the, the, the dang silly acronym is escaping me, but the one that lets you do uh, Q depth over UASP. USB. Yes. UASP. I, yeah, I think so. I think it was. Yeah. And look at that. Look at those hands. Look at Ooh. that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough Ikea furniture in this review. I disagree. <laughs> but 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 the Boca, man. The Boca. Yeah. yeah. The the manicured hands. There's actually no Ikea furniture. Zero Ikea furniture. Editor's choice, though. Uh, so if you're looking for, you know, this, obviously we don't need to talk about this a whole lot. Uh, but if you are in the need of a flash drive and you want one that somebody else has taken a look at and has kind of saw, has, has measured that it doesn't suck. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Because a lot of times they do suck, as it turns out. Sticking with the tiny mobile storage theme, we're going to now uh, talk about the Samsung Evo Are Plus. Are you talking about me again? <sighs> tiny, <laughs> tiny little things. Tiny little tiny storage Tiny little things. mobile storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another quickie for us. The Samsung Evo Plus 2017 model. 
<laughs> I think Josh has been drinking a little bit. Tiny, quickie. Uh-huh. Way to go, Ryan. This is uh, 128 gigs, UHS-1, U3, micro SD card. Did you link to, in this story, your analysis or your explanation of what the hell what all those micro speed SD, grades speed grades, and, and all cl- that okay, stuff? Okay, you yeah. did. Okay, yeah, I linked good. a couple times to it. So if you're buying but a new phone... which one's the plus and which one's the plus? Yeah, see, that's what... Uh, this This got really, really confusing because they... So they sent me... Plus. At the beginning of the piece, I sh- I'm showing a comparison of two 256 gig models of these drives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of them says Evo Plus with the plus sign. Mm-hmm, sure. The other one says Evo Plus where plus is spelled out. And they're both 256 gig. They both look identical other than that, but they actually have different specs. The one on the left is a U1... And the one on the right is a U3 okay. class device, yep. which means, you know, it's, it's, they can write at a faster rate minimum, basically. You know, the one on the left is at least 10 meg per second. The one on the right is at least 30 meg per second. But it's like, wait a minute. They look like they're the same product, but... No, clearly yeah. they're not. This one has a plus sign that is in a... Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a, a super... A super... Super set? No, a... Uh, uh, yeah. Superscript. Super, super script. Yeah. And yeah. this one spells it out. Right, right, right. Um, your, and then as problem? I was as I was digging some more, I found, uh, you know, in one case, the packaging for the 256 gig actually said plus on the packaging, but had the plus sign on the product that was in the packaging. Mm. And it actually was going the faster speed of the newer mm. spelled out plus model. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, even more confusion there. Anyway, clearly uh, this confusion. one says 95 and 90 and this one says 190. Well, sure, sure. But the older <laughs> one was only writing at like 40. Oh, so yeah yeah okay anyway anyway so, so what are we looking at we're just they're they're just newer faster better newer faster better basically so the old ones more expensive there's there's multiple different there's a couple of links i have a link to like the samsung page on where they have just all their sd cards laid out and there's like evo select there's just evo without any plus or anything after it yeah which was the original one you know it used to be simple just like their ssd lines where you just had evo and pro sure and then there was another line that just didn't have evo or pro and it was like the slowest Sure, like how it used I to guess. Be. There okay. used to be sure. like an 840 without an Evo or a Pro, right? Yep. And then they just kind of started adding more of the thing, more of the names or the labels to it over time, and it got, you know, just kind of more and more confusing. Yeah. Um, they were gonna actually. Uh, they emailed me back on this, and they said, "Well, we had the plus there, but it was making it very difficult for people to search for it." It's true. For, yeah. With the plus sign. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, because search engines would think that you were trying to do some kind of and function with the search and <laughs> right. it would just, it's like Evo and what, what do you want? And yeah. Um, so Evo plus spelled out is supposed to make that easier for people. And at the same time that that's happening, they're upgrading the specs of the line and making them even faster. So, uh, what you end up with is, um, there is a 64 all the way up to 256 gig model. Um, 64 will write at 60 meg per second. Okay. 128 and 256 will write at 90. Okay. And then the read speeds are 100, um, which is pretty darn good. Is uh, that is that like peak of current SD card performance or is there... No, there are, there are cards that will go... So this is about as hard as you can push UHS-1. Okay. Which is the SD cards that look like you're used to them looking with a single row of pins on the edge oh, of them. Oh, right, right, right. To, end, to get really faster than this, you need a UH, UHS-2 card, which has a second row of pins for more parallel okay. you know, data transfer. Yep. Um, so, you know, about as hard as you can push regular 
you know, mm. SD card tech that, era that you and I are used to. And chances are you'll be lucky if your camera will actually go that fast. Right. Yeah. You, um, that, that's, that's what's interesting, right? Because if you look at like the pricing on this too, you know, it's I was more looking at the durability rating. What? The durability, durability. rating. <laughs> there you go. It's funny. You guys weren't even 10,000 mating cycles. No, no, oh, Josh. Yeah. Josh. Ooh, a mating cycle. Put, put the spec sheet yeah. down, Josh. That's what it says. It says 10,000 mating cycles. Have you seen cycles. my camera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is how many times you can stick it in and pull it out. That's what they're talking about there. Yep. Sure is. Um, Card's going to go through a few cameras, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wow. All right. So thank um, you, Samsung. So yeah, I just did some. <laughs> I did some, did some simple tests on this guy just to see, like you know, what does the read speed and write speed look like? Yeah. Copying files to and from it in Windows. No, no big deal. Um, and it got well. Windows always slightly underreports your transfer speed in their in their dialog. It's, right. it's as if it's actually doing. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the other way of pronouncing megabytes per second. The one. Yeah, bips. It's like it actually. It's like it's actually giving you that number, but it doesn't say it the right way in the dialogue. So, you know, the same test run like with iometer, just doing 120k sequential, actually gave me like was like one meg per second short of the spec or something. So it's basically going full speed. Um, Prices are a little bit high um for these especially considering you can still find the plus sign version of them for like half the price yeah but you have to realize the write speed on those is like 20 meg per second mm-hmm. whereas the write speed on these is like 80 or 90 right so and that that's actually like w- w- if you have a camera like the a7s2 that's recording 4k 100 megabit it it actually requires you to have a f- certain classification of sd card right it, to it, get it requires a u3 i believe mm-hmm. Um, Which for, is overkill, like if you look at the spec, but you know they're counting for overhead well, it and is all that great, stuff. Potentially greater than twenty meg per second. U three yeah. is a rating of thirty. Okay, minimum. Gotcha. Right. Oh, minimum. Uh, yeah, right, it's right. a minimum. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. other part of it. That's a, that's you know something to take care of. It has to be a minimum, and there's actually a very specific type of write pattern that it has to be able to do that minimum at. Gotcha. And the pattern is supposed to conform to like what's a typical. Digital. There's no there's no um, like similar metric to this for like SSDs like con- like. Not really. It's just thirty meg per second. Like, does it go thirty meg per second? Yeah. Like, inter- I, I just find know. I find it interesting that like the U the U certifications have like specific workloads. Like, you have to meet this workload. But I guess yeah. their use cases are significantly it's very, limited. It's very limited. Uh, yeah. And, and, so, the, and yeah. the reason the reason that you get those types of minimums on SD cards is because to fit Flash into something that small and have it be like as nimble, like random write wise, mm-hmm. as a SATA SSD or something like that. It's very hard. Right. That's why the minimum, A, you need a minimum just to make sure you're, you know, you can write stream video to it if you're putting it in a, you know, sure. like a GoPro or something, right? Uh, it needs to be able to handle that raw bandwidth, but it also needs to be able to handle at least whatever small, manip- small random happens in the background while the streaming write is also taking place. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Whereas your regular SATA SSD can handle stuff way better than... Sure. You know, any of these SD cards could, right? So, thirty-two gig, twenty, uh, thirty-two gigs, twenty-nine ninety-nine, sixty-four fifty, one hundred twenty-eight ninety-nine, two fifty-six coming soon. Yeah, uh, and which made it more confusing because there's already an Evo Plus sign out, <laughs> and it's like two hundred bucks. Yeah, and it has specs that are in line with the specs of 
the spelled out plus model. So it's like, look, man. Yeah, I don't know. We it's, can't. We so can't all get everything. Here's, we here's want. the thing. At least Samsung is very good about putting the minimums on their packaging. Like if you go back and look at that packaging, not just the U1, U3 logo. Yeah, they, they have those yeah. logos and they have class 10 and all the other stuff, like whatever the other requirements are. But they also put your write speed, and they say up to yes because it could potentially be a little bit lower, but. I mean, they're they're running pretty close to what they're rated at right. from what we've seen. So just pay attention. Even if it's a, even if it has a plus sign on the card in the package, if the packaging says the right speed is like 90 meg per second, it's probably one of the new ones. Gotcha. Right. Um, now, all of that said, if you're just buying this to put in your camera or your GoPro or whatever, and it's a thing that doesn't go over like, say, 20 meg per second, buy the one that's half the cost. That seems obvious. Just your read speeds are roughly the same yeah. between all of them. You're still going to be able to empty the card just as fast right. as long as your reader's quick enough. So, yeah. you know, just buy or, um, you know, beware, pay attention, whatever. Something like that. Look at it before you buy. So um, before we jump onto the, the Drobo 5 and 2, I have a couple of uh, uh, Patreon shout outs to make. Let's see. Terry Corker. Uh, edited their pledge up to $5 from $3. Thank you, Terry. Freebaser edited their pledge to twelve thirty four. Thank you, Freebaser. One two three four. Uh, and Frank has edited their pledge, or is a new pledge at thirteen thirty seven. Of course. Wow. So thank you very much for those thank guys. Thank you. Um, now, before we get into the Drobo Five and Two, I we just have something that occurred here where I was allowed to publish a story after we started recording. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I don't know where to put it in. Just stick it in. Just do it here. Since oh, I'm yeah. already talking in about it. In front of us all yeah. sure, right now. So I'm going to uh, click over to here. So um, Ashes of the Singularity. Oh, you got to sign in. Oh, wait. No, I published it. Okay. I was allowed to publish it. As uh, I was waiting for an email response to say uh, I was allowed to publish it. That's sweet. why. Uh, Ashes of the Singularity posted an update this afternoon um, to version number 26.118 or whatever it was. It basically implements the performance improvements for Ryzen processors. So if you remember uh, back when Ryzen first launched, there was uh, a big debate about the gaming results that came out of it. Uh, and AMD kind of, they didn't kind of, AMD acknowledged the issue and said, hey, look, we understand that there's a problem, especially when you get into uh, you know, 1080p gaming, which is, I believe, still very important. And uh, they came out and said, look, we're working with game developers and we think there are ways we can improve things pretty drastically uh, given in the interaction we can have with these guys. So obviously AMD has a pretty good relationship with Oxide Games, uh, and the, those are the, the guys that make the nitrous engine behind Ashes of the Singularity. And so they've been working with them um, to implement an updated threading algorithm for the game. I'll be honest with you, I don't have a lot of detail yet on what they actually change in the engine um, because I have, I have a lot of questions in that regard. Um, but uh, there was a quote in a press release from Brad that basically says um, that uh, you know their development house has always wanted to take advantage of every ounce of performance of the PC. You know they they love having access to more cores, and um, you know they actually think that there's going to be room for for further expansion of that. Um, and so here's here's the results we have. Um, and I'll kind of scroll through these a little bit at a time. Uh, Ash of the Singularity ran all this at 1080p, uh, high preset, extreme preset. Uh, and you can see the orange bars are the new version, 26.118. The blue bars are the old version, 25.624, uh, the version that was public as of you know 
this morning. And you can see the differences we have here, right? So we're going from 65 frames per second to 85 frames per second. And this is on the GPU-centric test, not the CPU-centric test. I want to make that very apparent, right? Mm-hmm. This is not... The 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 this is this is the one that's emulating what the consumer and the gamer actually sees when they play the game, not like a, a more synthetic CPU uh, metric out there. And so you see, I ran the test at 2400 megahertz memory, 3200 megahertz memory, and you actually get more improvement with the faster memory as well, which is cool. interesting. Um, and then at the extreme setting, we've got you know similar improvements here. Uh, it, it ends up being up to 31 percent. At the high preset and up to 20% at the extreme quality preset, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot for a game engine software patch. Yeah. Right? Uh, I will note here, I did include one Intel result. It's all I really had time to do tonight uh, for the Core i7-6900K, which is the uh, uh, matched up core to thread count part. I was curious to see, like, okay, did any of these changes either hurt or help Intel's optimization? It's, it's probably a, a you know... CPU ID specific. It, I would I would imagine so, it would be the case, right? Yeah. Or or uh, and actually I'll show you. Here's here you can see like the multipliers: one point three one x, one point two two x, one point two one point one seven. Yeah. So so solid performance improvements in the game engine. You know this is a this is a benchmark that emulates actual gameplay. Mm-hmm. You know it's not a, a, a like a like a 3D mark or a synthetic or something like that. It's it's actually. You know, emulating its own engine. engine. You're using yeah. its game engine, its assets, and all that type of yeah. stuff. Um, so that's that's fantastic. Uh, does that, does, that does Intel able to do that? Do we know does uh, does an i7 do the same thing if you did the same thing with the RAM? Like, uh, it does, does not it scale with RAM okay. nearly as much. It will. Okay. I mean, it does a little bit. Uh, and again, I but didn't. I just didn't. Degree. I just didn't have time to do it. But like, if we ran it at three thousand or thirty two hundred, if I could get it to run. Um, I wouldn't guess. My guess would be a couple of percent. Okay. Yeah. Right. Probably not the amount you're seeing. On, no. And I think a lot of that becomes down to this graph, right? Where we talked about before, where yeah, the 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 core complex communication depends on memory performance on the Ryzen processor yep. for thread to thread communication. It's not really the case on the Intel part. So, um, and that's uh, you know, when I when I asked one of the Oxide developers, like, what, what'd you guys do? <laughs> like, tell me, like, on Twitter, like, this is, in 140 characters or less, how'd you fix everything, right? It wasn't really 140 was characters or less, answer. right? Uh, but he said, essentially, they were, um, they, for the last five years, they had been dedicating their time to instruction traces, instruction traces and analysis to maximize Intel performance. Sure. And they had never done that with a Zen-based or a Ryzen processor. Which works differently. Right, which works very differently. Yeah. And so now they can eliminate poor instruction setup. They can kind of look for things that cause performance stalls that didn't cause performance stalls on Intel and adjust for that. And I believe, even though he didn't say this at all, I, I want to make that very clear, he didn't say that, that probably I mean, some I, of I this comes into play. I would say some. If I would, you're, I would if you're managing that. threads in a way where you can balance their core sure. complex residency a yeah. little bit better. I probably wouldn't blame it all on that. Like it probably no. is doing some other things just to, to better play with the hyper-threading type implementation yeah. on Ryzen. Yep. Right? There's probably some of that too. Not yep. necessarily crossing core complexes, but... I agree. Yeah, but it's just it's optimization, just generally speaking. It is. And, and I will freely admit that this is more than I thought they were going to be able to get... Yeah, as quickly as they got it. Now, yeah. I also say in this story that it's important for AMD to take like this momentum, this this successful result, yeah. and actually move forward and do other things, work with other developers, get other games to show these similar optimizations. Because, well, when it comes to when it comes to how a game engine 
operates, like how the code actually executes, yeah. it's usually a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but it's small, reasonably small loops that are just being repeated ad nauseum. Sure. Right? So, I, I mean, it, and it depends game to game. Like this, Ashes of the Singularity is an RTS game mm-hmm. with a ton of on-screen units. Sure. And so its loop cycles are going to be more right, well, substantial like, than something like Rise of the Tomb Raider, yeah. I would guess. But like each item would have some set of loops yeah. that that code runs through, right? So if you find, but it's like, it's generally the same code. It just does slightly different things for each different type of unit or whatever, yep. right? But if you find, you know, if you run, if you have the capability to do traces like that yep. and actually plot out, okay, how many, how many nanoseconds is this op taking? Yeah. You know, in our code, well, right? It, if you see it, something that kind of sticks out as, well, this is taking, you know, 20% longer. Mm-hmm. And we're repeating it, you know, hundreds of thousands of times per second when this game engine is operating, right? Yeah. If Josh, you can knock that out. I'll let you finish here. I just, I just, well, I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> but first, I just, I just want to say, like, they, this is a good win for them. This is a great yeah. showpiece for them to put out a press release and brag about it. But if... If in 30 more days or 60 more days we don't have another win like this for them, it cancels out. Like right. it's not it's, it's not a good answer yeah. yet, right? Because if we look at Ashes of Singularity was the Mantle flagship, right? They showed the advantages of Mantle mm-hmm. and maybe one or two other games really took advantage of Mantle in any kind of similar way. Now, obviously, Mantle went on to do bigger, better things as Vulcan, but they need to grow on this. Like they need to, to expand yeah. forward. Josh, go ahead. I, I thought you were going to say, but David Kanner is the best CPU journalist of all time. <laughs> of all time. Probably. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, he, well, he does overshadow me quite, quite a bit. No, it seems like there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of low-level programming that could really benefit AMD Ryzen. And I think you guys have shown that extensively with the, uh, the CCX complexes. And, uh, yeah, they can do a couple of things with uh, threading and uh, data locality with the uh, L1, L2 caches and L3 caches, for that matter. And so it seems like they could get some pretty significant jumps in a pretty small window frame of time if the developers can get these and actually have, uh, you know some 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 guys that, that know how to optimize code. So it's it's kind of interesting to see that they had this big of a jump in at least one application. I think that that means a lot for them going forward. Yeah, and, yep. and getting a result like this out there and public might convince other developers to go, oh hey, these guys probably didn't look like a lot of work, right? You know, there was some work there, but it probably wasn't a lot. These guys could turn this around so quickly. Maybe we could do the same thing to ours. And, yeah, and and, you know. and and that's the thing is like to be fair, like I don't know. They might, because of the way their threading worked in their game engine already, it might have been significantly easier for them sure. to update these changes than for other game engines. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but, you know, I have, I, I, I don't think I can say which games or engines, but I have talked with AMD about who else they're working with, like, successively, like their next targets for yeah. this type of optimization. And they're, they're more substantial. Like they're they're in they're engines that are going to be in multiple games. Mm-hmm. You know those types of things, right? Whereas this is this is a little bit limited in this regard. Um, but overall, really impressed by it. Really impressed by the speed that they got out there, and that they're not putting their head in the sand. They're not like saying, "Oh, you guys are dumb. You don't know how to benchmark." You know, let us show you how the Ryzen is the best processor ever. They're they're going forward and saying, "Hey, <laughs> we had that issue." We have that issue, and we think we can address We're it. Here's an it. example of how we can address it, and that's that's exactly what they what they yeah. need. So, 
All right, so that is the breaking news story that we had in the middle of the show. I was trying to get it approved earlier so we could put it in the notes and on the rundown, but we didn't get a didn't get a chance to do that. So now we'll move on to Alan's Drobo five and two. Meow. Can we move on to that meow? Right meow? Yeah. Right meow? I hate you so much. All right. <laughs> so, uh, so what are we looking at? It's Drobo. a Drobo. Ryan, you have not been tickled with Drobo networking appliances uh, generally no. ever. I will freely admit that I think the simplicity and the user experience of installing them and setting them up yep. is unparalleled. Yep. However, and I'm if talking you networked ones, networked ones, attack. correct, correct. Yeah. However, well, all of them are good to are good to set up. Right. But yeah, my bad experience has come when they sold me one that had a gigabit network connection that ran at 30 megs per second. Uh huh. Right. And so I thought, boo, yeah. to them. That was pretty bad. So now what? Uh, it goes faster now. Okay. Like a lot faster. All right. On to the next uh, story. We've- <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was a 5N you know, yes. a few years back that came out. Yep. Came out the same time the 5D came out. 5D was like direct to tech, direct connected one. The network one was the 5N. Yeah. Right? Um, and they did this cool trick where you could put an MSATA SSD in the bottom of it and it did caching to try to help with hard drives that were generally slower at random access and stuff like that. Um, anyway, uh, yes, it, was, anyway. it performed okay. Still not that great, but it was okay. Sure. And came out three years ago. So now it's definitely like long in the tooth. You know, so it's time to refresh the thing. Um, so this time they refreshed it. I mean, the, the you know, usability is still the same. The out of the box, you know, you plug in the drives, you power the thing up. If there's a firmware update, you basically it just, you know, this one is the first one I've seen where it basically required a firmware update, like before it would even work. Right. Um, usually they just, it just fire, it spins up, creates the array on its own and just shows up on your network. All you did was just plug in some drives and fire it up and give it a few minutes. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, once you're up and running, uh, you know, it's real, real easy. They've added more features. You know, there's more Drobo apps. You can have this device actually running. Apps sure, sure, in sure. The but what, like, what are these two things in the back here? Uh, yeah, there's two gigabit Ethernet ports in the back. Um, Is that so you can loop it back onto itself? Yeah, it's... you just loop back. You just transfer data to itself like all the time. <laughs> um, so you can connect this guy to two networks simultaneously if you wanted to. To okay, two independent networks. Two independent networks. All right. Um, I wouldn't maybe trust it to be bulletproof for like from like a network isolation standpoint, right? But you could share a network share across two separate networks without have, without having to set up a PC as the share. Sure. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, without having Good. to do any of that kind of complicated stuff. Or uh, there's a checkbox in the interface if you go to it's all on the second page. I think is where the oh true. I think the bottom of the second page is the interface one where I was talking about the... We're not going to talk about the multi-language stickers? Oh, uh, well, I mean, you know... No, we don't need to. Let's stickers, move on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, second page, I'm basically just going through all the Drobo dashboard stuff and the configuration options, and there's Drobo apps, and there's this thing called um, Drobo DR, which is for, like, data replication. You can actually point it to another Drobo that could even be external to your network, just somewhere else off-site. Okay. And it just does a one-way sync. Does it have to be another Drobo? Yeah. It does. Yeah, it can't Drobo be DR just is, another it's, data source. No, it's meant it's actually using like their beyond raid block level management thing as the method of syncing the data. Mm. Right. So it's able to better because it it knows which blocks have been updated and when. Does Drobo have like a cloud sync, like a cloud backup? Like hey there's, there's apps 
that that do that. Okay. Um, okay. But not with Drobo as a service, right? Sure. There's there's Drobo Access, which lets you remotely get to the Drobo from somewhere else. Okay, that's if you good. Wanted to, um, but there's other stuff, you know, like own cloud, Elephant yeah. Drive, like that's for for you, you getting other other things for you getting access to it from somewhere else. Okay. But there's um you know there's other basically there's apps for pretty much anything you could possibly want possibly want a NAS to do. Right. Um on this thing. Um simple checkbox thing if you want dual disk redundancy basically you're switching from raid 5 to raid 6 you just check a box their their version thereof yeah yep. they're, they're equivalent thereof right in other yep. words one drive can fail or two drives can fail um but at the end there there is this uh checkbox f- under the network settings network interface bonding network interface bonding uh which usually is like i don't think you can just you can't just easily do this with windows you need like a server os to do it so if you were trying to do this on a Windows machine that was acting like a network server and you wanted bonded Ethernet, you would need an enterprise, like a server class, okay. you know, OS on it. Um, what NIC bonding does is it's basically connecting the NICs at a lower level than normal. It's not necessarily the same as multi-link or what you would call like failover for NICs or anything like that. It basically turns them into like striping. Okay. So... At the switch, like level two OSI, like switch level, right? Your switch has to be able to, I think if you had a very old hub or very, very, very old switch, it might not work with this. But as long as it's, you know, we had our Netgear switch is like... It's probably like eight years old. Yeah. It's like an eight-year-old Netgear switch worked just fine with it. But all it does is it basically makes it as if those two Ethernet ports were one from the standpoint of... Either of them, they can basically okay. send packets alternating, right? And the host, well, now your host, if it's only on gigabit, and you're only it's using, still going to be limited. Yeah, to you're still limited the same throughput. by the computer okay. on the other end. But you can start doing things like having data transfers from the Drobo to two machines simultaneously, and actually getting full gigabit to both, or at least close to full gigabit. To well, both. let's see how that lived up to it. Did it do that? Uh, it actually got pretty close. Um, All right, so it, if I look at here, the bonded NIC, simultaneous copy from two systems to the 5N2. So uh-huh. this is writing to the hard drives. Yes. Correct. Uh, One machine did like 92, another machine did like yeah. 83. Okay. Right? And considering we're talking about hard drive writes, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're talking about hard drive writes. Uh, I, did, um, I did the same kind of test as the first uh, graphic there with bonding off. And it basically right. just gave you 112 meg per second divided by two to yep. the two systems, right? 112 is that number you see if you're used to transferring big files around a gigabit network to a okay. next, right? That's just the maximum. Um, now, I'm confused, though. Yeah. Why are the copies from the Drobo to these systems slower than the, than the writes? Okay. Uh, it really has to do with what speed hard drives you put in them. And... The other thing, which I can't confirm, but it's a working theory of mine, is uh, hard drives have quicker QDepth1 writes than they have QDepth1 reads. Because when you do a write, it writes to a buffer on a hard drive, mm. and then it goes to the disk after yeah, the fact. When okay. you do a read, it actually has to get it from the disk and then give it to you, right? Mm. Um, okay. And I'm pretty sure that Drobo's will not really ramp up the queue to each individual drive. Like okay. within the array, right? Uh, higher end hardware RAID cards, like we have an Arika RAID card in the array, like it will actually transfer. Like if you hit it with a bunch of random I/O 
at a high Q depth, you'll see high Q depth to all the disks as well. Gotcha. But that's really hardware, you know, RAID card stuff. This is a software implementation of RAID. Sure. When you get right down to it. Um, so mm-hmm. some of the things aren't going to be as fast. However, that's still faster than you would have gotten. Otherwise, it's still 75 meg per second to each. Two. To yeah. each system. Yeah. 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 It's still faster than you would have got. Normally, it would, you would have been limited I, I think, to basically I, I 55, like, right? Yeah. I like the next graph where you show reading the same file. It's actually faster. Yeah. Because yeah, the, it it's, has to it's take it, it already has, data. Yeah, it already it's, has the data. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's basically what's showing that, okay, it was the bottleneck, the network connections of the Drobo, or was it yeah. actually the drives, right? Same file at the same time, went super fast. Um, so I the put, bottleneck was the Drobo hardware itself yep. not the network yep and you can help with the reads uh if the files are being accessed uh somewhat reliably like you're repeatedly accessing the same group of files like relatively same mm-hmm. or small group of files if you put that msata cache drive in there right. which this model still has uh it will cache things that are frequently being hit mm. so oh, it's got a bloody riverbed thing in there uh, like not necessarily riverbed brand did but the old riverbed network caching device. Yeah, it's just got a little drive slot in the bottom. Like they've done this huh. since the since the five D and the five N. So they've been doing this for like three years now. But it's just a you know MSATA slot. You put an SSD in there. It treats it as if it's another drive in the array, but it doesn't put another redundant copy there. It like it doesn't use it for redundancy. It just uses it as an right. extra copy because there's only one of those, right? So it's not going to treat it as another disk or anything like that. Understood. Um, now, with those files on, uh, you know, having read them a couple times, and they were obviously cached on the MSATA device there, look at the speeds. Like, mm-hmm. you're doing 101 and 96, and those were two separate files. Gotcha. So the same thing that was only going 75 before was going almost 100 now, mm-hmm. right? Um, I did catch it doing some kind of garbage collection for its array. At one point, I deleted a bunch of big files, and then I tried doing one of the copies, Um and the hard drive started kind of thrashing away because they were busy. You know, when you if you have a hard drive in a system, you've experienced this. You do too many things at once. Hard drives start making more noise than actually doing things, right? Using hard drives. Yeah. Um, so I was able to catch it kind of going yeah. a little bit slow. It didn't come to a complete it, halt, but it dropped to like, you know, around 50 meg per second for a few seconds. And then it mm-hmm. sped back up, right? Um, and then I put a couple of Velociraptors in there. And that's what that one is. Um, and that was with no cache. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Velociraptors are able to handle random. Well, you're writing access. to the five NT. Yes, but it, it was so. still fast, even faster than writing to like uh, eight terabyte reds. Gotcha. You know, um, so I mean, overall, like I was impressed. Right? It's it's you know, it wasn't a gimmick. Yeah, it was definitely not a gimmick. That second port, um, as long as you have a decent switch with the the back end fabric inside the switch, able to transfer so, two gigabit worth at the same time, which every switch can pretty much. Go ahead, Alex. This is not LACP or Ether Channel or 802.11ax. It's proprietary. No, it's just straight bonded, level two bonding. Right, but you, yeah. said, it, you said it worked on an old switch. Yeah. Not a managed switch. Right. That's not LACP then. Well, then no, it is? won't be. Yeah, it's something else. They're using their own proprietary bonding. It's I not, guess. It's not Ether Channel. Or they got a translation layer in there and it doesn't look like it. Yeah. Oh, whatever it is, it worked on a really old switch, and it was seamless as checking one box. So yeah, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, but it's it's not Ether Channel because there was a couple of people asking about that, and I was wondering as well because you don't see that behavior with LAC bonding. Hmm. Uh, what does like Windows Server do when you bond two next together? It depends on what switch is talking to. 
That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's this thing cost? Uh, five hundred bucks with no drives. With no drives. And that seems. I think for many people that will seem really expensive, but that's you were telling me before. It's kind of moderately priced compared to yeah, Synology like devices. The, the and Synology stuff. five bay box, which you would think is the direct competitor to yeah. this guy, right? Probably should be treated as such. Uh, is two hundred dollars more? Hmm. Okay. So as it is right now, that's cheaper, and you know, features are decent. Yeah. Um. And the and the RAID implementation is arguably more flexible than a Synology box. And this can accept, you know, eight terabyte drives, probably ten terabyte drives. The volume size now on these is sixty four terabyte volumes. Mm. And you don't you're not limited to one volume. <laughs> oh, okay. You can make another volume. Okay. Because it's a it's a thin provisioned. How many drive bays are there? Five. So I would only need <laughs> what fourteen t- t- and realize you got to take a drive away for the redundancy oh, yeah. too. So okay. yeah, like yeah, you need sixteen uh, terabyte drives, eighteen. And, and the other thing <laughs> worth considering is if you're the kind of person that what's very very forward thinking on your array, and you're, you're like you only got a few terabytes of stuff, but you're just going to fill this thing full of like eight terabyte drives and just buy it just for the sake of not worrying yeah. about it. Well, say a drive fails, compared to any other NAS type system, this the Drobo the Drobo um, Beyond RAID stuff is the only thing. That can recover from a drive failure and go back to a normal state, right? As long as you were not filling up all of the space, basically, right? If you only had a couple of terabytes on there and you could deal with a drive failing and still have the remainder of the drives in a RAID five configuration with the empty space still holding all of your stuff, yeah, it'll just do that on its own. You never knew it happened, right? It'll yeah. your drives could sequentially fail until it, until basically it runs out of the ability to hold your stuff. And it will constantly work to rebuild the parity yeah. on its own, right? Like any, any other raid, you have to replace the drive, right? In order for it, and then wait for it to rebuild, yeah. and then only when it's Which done, is very fast are you process. safe again? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's cool. It's cool technology. I mean, I, I really, I really do like it, and I would have little to no complaints about using this as like our office NAS now that performance. Is yeah. reasonable. It's still not it's like if you tr- it's still it still bothers me a little bit that I can't peg. Well, okay. Did you do a single drive test where like one client is pulling one file off of it? Yeah, Can it, it is it, it is it pegging one ten? Sure. Okay, all yeah. right, that's fine. I, you, this, I think the only one I saw saw here was when two people were doing it. Yeah, seventy eight. But you have to realize that for something like this, again, it's a it's a like a Marvel you know dual CPU mm-hmm. ARM implementation yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. And it's it's not going to be a speedy, uh, like a straight line, sure. But if you try to do, you know, 10,000 small files to this mm-hmm. versus to like an actual RAID. To so a PC with a RAID drive. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's going to be gonna, a significant difference. Yes, there's going to be differences. Okay. So All right. This fair is, enough. You know, Drobo always kind of markets more towards the, your photographers. You're, you know, you're putting bulk, relatively yep. large file copy to it. All right. You know, and just storing it. You just want it as safe as you can do it. And you probably should be backing up, but most Drobo owners probably aren't backing up. But at least, I mean, this is probably one of the I did safest. Back up to my Drobo, it's probably one of the safest things as as a box holding bits. Mm-hmm. You know, compared no, to any other yeah. box holding bits, right? Like it's yeah, that should be their new marketing name. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, I, I, the box holding. Remember bits. that original Drobo Pro review? B-H-B, like I, yeah. I did things to that that would have bricked any other raid. Like I was, <laughs> I was pulling power while it was, you know, I pulled the drive 
to simulate a drive failure. And while it was trying to figure out what happened there, I'd yank power. Right. Like while it was just starting its rebuild, like I would have brought, I would have broken any other array like immediately just from that act alone. Yep. And I actually worked at it for a couple of hours just doing different iterations of things and it still never lost that. So, I mean, that was enough to convince me and I walked into it super, super skeptical. But why do you hate hardware so much? Why do I hate hardware? Yeah. What do you mean? Hate it. You oh, no, if he really hated it, he'd have Ryan touch it. That's true. I should have had Ryan touch it. That's beyond right. It would uh, never come is, back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ryan has destroyed several raids. He has. No, no. No, I, I I did none of the destruction. They crumbled before my... Oh, someone someone in the uh, someone in the chat asked power. if it had a battery backup. So it doesn't have a battery backup like, a, like an UPS that's going to keep it fully running. However... It does. It does have a really big capacitor. With no, it's not. It's not a capacitor. Here, it's not a capacitor. Contacts. There's like an eighteen six fifty cell in there. Um, oh, okay. That's, just, that's supposed to be able to hold its metadata, anything that was in RAM, uh, for like a period of days, if you lost power, basically. So, so it's not a lipo. it has a lipo. It's probably not made by Samsung, so we're probably safe. Ouch! Burn. All right, uh, moving on <laughs> hey, to... Hey, Ryan. Yes, just sir. Before yes. we go on. Yes? Uh, Wyoming won tonight, and they're playing again on Friday. Um, what tournament is this again? The CBI. Uh, oh, is that the Miami or Las Vegas version of that show? Uh, no, no, neither. No. CBI Las Vegas? CBI? No. That, the, that was the original CBI. Well, close, though. You're trying hard. CBI. I don't. I don't know any other cities. But the best part is, is that my team gets to practice tomorrow. My team's practicing. And play on Friday. All all of my team is playing a McDonald's All American game currently. <laughs> oh, burn. So they went out for Happy Meals. Yeah, that's I would get it means a right lot. Now. Lots. <sighs> all right, uh, Corsair, Jeremy uh, launched a system. The hell's up with that? Ah, oh, the radiator sandwich. It looks uh, cool. It does. Because uh, the bulldog, I was not the biggest fan of the design. You're not the only one, my friend. There were a lot of I people know. with that. Yeah. But this the is one, very on Tron-esque. the other hand, looks pretty yeah. damn good. It has a Tron look to it. Pretty cool. Yeah. And, and the reason it's... Punk playing in the background when you boot that up? Oh, rock out. <laughs> Could Get those do that. lights blinking. So uh, this is so the bull, but the bulldog is interesting because it was a bare bones system, yes. right? This yeah. is not a bare bones oh, system. God, no. This is they're selling you a whole PC, dog. Oh, wait a minute, bulldog sat on the side, that. right? Like just so we're clear, bulldog. What didn't the bulldog sit on its side? Wasn't that the one? Yeah, it was the HTPC. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. so, this one's vertical. Is it meant to sit on the side? No, just, no, no. It's okay. meant to stand like that. It's got okay. vents on either side. Um, you can see a little bit of its exploded view wow. there. Really, um, well, that's why I call it the radiator sandwich because you can see yeah. on the one side you got a GPU with its rad. On the other side, you get the motherboard, the power supply, and the other rad. That's a cool design. Really cool. What's it's gorgeous? What are the different spec options on this, Jeremy? Uh, so there's four of them. Two are available now. Uh, two will be soon, but two of those will only be available off of uh, Corsair's website. Mm. But mm-hmm. you're looking at high-end hardware. All of them are going to do an i7-770 uh, at various overclocks, running between 4.2 base to uh, a 4.5 for the higher uh, priced models. Uh, the, the lowest class is a 1070. 
all others have a 1080 apart from the brand new pro gtx 1080 ti version which well i think you might guess what it has in there yeah all of them 16 uh, gigs of ram uh, a variety of choices of corsair force le SSD, ssds which i didn't look too closely into um because i was hoping al had heard of them before or so yeah i mean i'm pretty sure they're in our result archive yeah, yeah. I, I, but it, the controller didn't come off didn't, i couldn't uh, think of it off the top oh, of my okay. head but they from a 240 gig to up, up to a 960 gig they're every single one is based off of a, a very custom built msi z270 mini itx board and well frankly they just look pretty damn cool i'm trying to get a proper sense of scale from the picture because well, here it, hold on i hold think on. it's I actually think smaller than it looks it is smaller than it yeah. looks uh, well, look at the that's a 1070 or a 1080 that graphics card that stands almost the entire a, length of the a, car but they had a, a diagram here that showed like it Gave relative to the scale, size of a cat oh <laughs> or something really? like that a little yeah. bit not no not a banana yeah i don't know but i mean it's it's what seven liters is that what it is is that it's, is that it's, <laughs> sounds about right. Are, are we doing more super it, trooper jokes? Go back up on your article to that. Um, and, uh, keep going. Yeah, that I don't picture. have a leader. So look, at the, look at the graphics card. Mm-hmm. It's and strangely enough, yeah. it'll be an SFX power so, supply. So a little bit taller than a graphics card on its side. Where's the, where's the power? Yeah, the power supply is on the right. Yeah, on top of the, the mini ITX board. Okay, so this is so 12 liters at- in volume, measuring 7.8 inches by 6.9 inches by 14.9 inches. So it's only 15 inches tall by yeah. 8 by 7. Yeah, that's not big at all. No? No, it isn't. It, it's going to be interesting just, to see if they can make it. And, and the pricing is reasonable. That'd make a nice, just like regular it's, gaming PC. Just like, yeah. You know, oh, gotcha. Like I mean, that's, that's, that's not, not necessarily for like only home theater or only uh, something. This is not meant for home theater. The oh, bulldog okay. was meant for home theater. This is not. This is this is no, a, this is gaming. This is a gaming PC. gaming PC. So for seventeen ninety nine, you get the seventy seven hundred, not the K, uh, a ten seventy, sixteen gigs of memory, two forty gig SSD, one terabyte hard drive, and all the stuff not, to make those things work. Not the K. No, not the no, K. That's the the lowest class class one is not the K. Can you still overclock the not K on the no. seventy seven hundred? No. Well, that's no. But they've already overclocked I mean, the others to 4.5. It, I okay. would agree with that sentiment. Uh, and then you can go all the way up to a 1080 Ti with a 7700K, 16 gigs of RAM, 960 gig SSD for 25.99. And it's, I mean, yes, it's going to be cheaper if you build it yourself. Everybody understands this, sure. but it's like you know, not so bad. I, I will be very curious to see, you know, like this is a different this is a different beast for Corsair when it comes to support. Yeah, and that's a whole warranties, system, not just a case. And yeah, like they have they have seemed to build every single component that goes into building a system for a that, long time. That's true. With you know the exception of motherboard, video card, uh, yeah, and then now they you know they, they partner with MSI and that type of stuff. But like, um, you know, now some somebody's just going to buy this and doesn't really know how to build a computer. And I, I, it's worth pointing out. They don't want you to work on this computer. Like, it's not meant to be sure. self-serviceable. But you should be able to swap a GPU on that computer. Mm, no. What are you going to swap That's your 1080 Ti with? It's got a water cooler mounted to it. It's oh, it's a custom water cooler on the... Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but on the, fl- on the flip side, uh, you got a <laughs> two-year warranty with 24-7 uh, phone support. support. 
So there's a bunch of self-diagnostic tools built into it, yeah. apparently, because the one nice thing about building your own machine is you can make sure that you've got diagnostics exactly where you want them to be. Yeah. So you're going to get support with it. Uh, and, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I've seen some people that are a little skeptical about being able to pull that much heat out with just two radiators and a big blower on the top. Looking at it, I think it's going to work. I, I honestly do. It's a nice design. I, pretty, I have I have pretty good faith in the in the guys at Corsair. And having known yeah. a lot of them for a very long time, I will say I, I generally don't think that they're going to make something put something out yeah, that's going to be garbage. They, they don't they don't skimp. Like I I probably no. wasn't a, I'm not a big fan of the bulldog design either, but that's like taste. Like functionally, it was fantastic. But yeah, so that's the uh, Corsair One, which maybe not the best name in terms of like SEO and. You know, that stuff. I well, they're know. mixing their Trons and Matrixes together that's, a little. That's sure. true. That's very true. Uh, Intel officially launches for the fourth time Intel <laughs> Optane Memory. Uh, it's a really bad name. Officially this time. Uh, this is the accelerator module. This is the M.2 module that what we have really up until very recently, the only thing we knew that was going to be an Optane product for consumers. Yeah, it was called the System Accelerator or something on their on their roadmap. Yeah. You know, Optane System Accelerator or something. Yep. Right. That was supposed to come out first as a PCIe 3.0 by 2 module, yep. and then later on, potentially a by 4 module. But for now, this is the first version. So we, right? we knew most of this stuff. There's a 16-gig version. There's a 32-gig version. Yep. Uh, it's based on uh, – it's using 3D Crosspoint. Um, M.2 form factor. It's going to be a uh, like a caching system mm-hmm. for PCs. What do we learn that's new today? Uh, or, or this that's, week? That's new compared to what we've talked about before? Yes, correct. I mean, I think we have kind of a solid handle on what Intel's intended messaging is on this now and like where it's going to sit for people because I've seen just the random chatter around the internet since this news, you know, the actual release broke on this thing. And you get all these, like, power user guys, and they're all talking about, well, why don't you just put everything on an SSD? That's not the market for this. Because clearly the answer is you should do that. Yeah. If, if that's your... No, if, you're, if you're even asking that question, chances are you should do that. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Now, I will say that this type of memory is still faster than NAND flash is, mm-hmm. even an NVMe SSD, for the kind of stuff... You know, for small random accesses and stuff like that, it's still right. going to beat the pants off of it, mm-hmm. especially at the Q depths that most people are operating at, which was another part of Intel's messaging, which happens to coincide with the drum I've been beaten for a while now. Like as far as if you look at that second chart there, which you have up already, which is the, uh, you know, they looked at Q depths of you doing a majority of different things, like all the t- kinds of different things you do in a PC. What Q depth does your... For consumers. For consumers. Yeah. You're just regular computer stuff, Right. Uh, and it's pretty much, you know, 99% of it falls below a QD of the four. Yep. So for all those people that lock in on the QD 32 or QD 128 figures on a SSD purchase, you're looking at the wrong things because you're never going to hit those. Um, so that was good on Intel for kind of pointing that out and reiterating that. And then if you move down to the next chart there, um, it shows where an Optane part operates in, from an IOPS standpoint compared to NAND, you know, PCIe SSDs, SATA SSDs, and even hard drives is on that chart. Just scroll down to the next one. Um, 
the Optane part just runs at a much higher performance level. That green line there, you know, looking at the the, the shaded area on the left end of that of that chart, which yep. is Q depth one through four, it's just beating the pants off everything else because mm-hmm. it can just respond so much faster yeah. than all of the other types of you know types of non volatile. Here, here's here's an argument that I would make is that. Does it matter if you're up here that's, as opposed to down here as long gonna, as you're not down here? Yeah, because the hard drive is actually... <laughs> the yellow line at the bottom that looks like the axis is actually the hard drive. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's actually a disk. Okay, yeah. so... But if you think about, like, the performance difference between a hard disk and a SATA SSD was dramatic. Right. And if you put that together with the fact that you were running, chances are, at very low Q-depths, Q-depth 1, 2, 4, stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that line does not climb very high on that chart at Q-depth 1 and 2 for sure. a SATA SSD. Compared to where it's at now, even if you consider diminishing returns, it's probably going to be quicker. Like, you might be able to see, like, stopwatch timeable differences between okay. a SATA SSD and this. Okay. But this is more expensive. You're yep. not gonna. You're not gonna. Cost have, per gig is, is cost high. Cost per gig is way higher. Did they announce the price yet? Um, well, it's supposed to be like forty four bucks for the sixteen gig version, and I thought it was like eighty or. Well, I was asking if they'd actually said that or not yet. They haven't like officially said. Okay. Like as part of a release. Um, mm. You know, but so it's going to be more expensive cost per gig. Yeah. So don't expect to go by to you know you're not going to get an M.2 two two hundred fifty six gig right. Right. version of this. So, so the idea yet. here is. The market is not people that have their OS and all their games on an SSD. The market is people that just have a hard drive. And OEMs that are putting only hard drives in systems and still yeah. shipping them. Of which there is still a considerable margin of those. There are. You go to Best Buy and you buy your cheap whatever, Dell, HP, whatever, sitting on the shelf there. Uh, it's going to crawl if, because it's only going to be a hard drive. I agree right. with that. It, you know, my, and, my complaint about this is if the prices turn out to be correct... Yeah. then you're talking about systems that are going to be very inexpensive systems, like the ones you're trying to target. Mm-hmm. If you're asking 10% extra cost that's true. to, to put on uh, an Optane module for a system vendor, that's not going to work. That is right? true. Because like, if you look at what those uh, the uh, profit margins are on CyberPower selling a $475 fully built PC, mm-hmm. it's probably like, Forty dollars, but but here's, right? here's the I think again it boils down to messaging because I think an OEM would be apt to have a model like if you had a Dell sitting there for five hundred bucks on a shelf, mm-hmm. but next to it was an HP for five hundred and fifty, but with some big sticker on it saying that this system is twice as responsive as a system that doesn't have Optane memory yeah. in it, right? Which is probably a valid claim, you know. I mean, we only have numbers sure. and given us so far, but I mean, we we. Did a demo while we were there. We sat down at systems and mm-hmm. had a, only a hard disk versus putting Optane in there and turning it on. It's a noticeable and dramatic difference. Yeah. Right? Um, probably not nearly as noticeable as like if you went from an SSD to that same configuration, like a you know pure SSD. I agree. We're talking only a fifty dollars addition to a system. It still has like the one or two terabyte hard drive that it came with. It's still only a C drive, so you know your mom or your parents or whoever you're tech supporting for doesn't get confused by, Oh no, you can't put the pictures on the C drive mom because they can't fit. You're going to fill it all up. You have to put the pictures on the D drive. Mom. Right. See, so think about that. You can avoid all that because it's just a thing that just makes copy into the C drive. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to overfill it and it's not going to be able to start up and whatever. 
Johnny, what's this I just Windows think, running out of memory <coughs> message? I don't you know. fundamentally disagree with anything you've said or yeah. that Intel has said. Uh, I just think $50 is too much money. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think I it's going to end high. up being too They're much money. They're probably not going to charge OEMs the $44. The, the reason you can right? make the argument earlier when RST was a thing and they were selling a 30 gig Larson Creek or whatever mm. the crap the codename SSD yeah, was. it was 20 gig, yeah. You can make the argument for there because like SSDs themselves were so expensive. Oh, sure. At the time. Yeah. Right? And but the, but the thing was when that came out, because this is going to do a form of that type of caching thing yeah. just again, yeah. right? But the reason that, and a lot of people go back to that and say, ah, Intel tried this before and it failed. Well, it failed very quickly and not a lot of people bought into it at all because A, the, that Larson Creek SSD was pure SLC at a time where SLC was still pretty pricey, even though it was only 20 gig of it. But it was great. Uh, I mean, eh. I still got one sitting over there on that shelf. It was okay, right? Um, I'm going to put it in this drive. But the problem was, within a few months of that being a thing, you had OCZ, NDLinks, SSDs selling for for cheaper, like a 64 gig SSD. I'm telling you that I thought that made more sense then at the time because SSDs were expensive when it launched. This is like, I don't know. To me, this is very similar to the SD to HD. Oh my God, what a difference. I'll pay whatever. Versus HD to 4K, where it's just like, yeah, there's a difference. My mom's not going to be able to tell, so she's not going to want to buy a 4K TV anytime soon. Yeah, this is something right? like that, that if type you're of sitting at the computer and doing stuff, you can tell. We'll see. I don't know that because we don't have a review live, Alan. Well, we don't. I know. Because Just we're saying. under NDA. <laughs> On a review. Bargos are crap. But we did get to sit down at one and play with it, and it was good. But we were testing it against a hard drive. Yeah. Not against an SSD. Right, That's right, what I'm right. saying. The SSD yeah. is, is I'm 1080p. I'm not trying to argue, you know, get rid of your SSD and, and switch to a hard drive with Optane. Like, I'm not. It's just, but for yeah. the... Well, no, but you, you do a review of that hard drive and you do it against brand A SSD. Just my cable. Sure. Uh, all right. So are we done there? Uh, yeah. Let's talk about StarCraft. Oh, cool. It's free, right? This update? Something like, I don't no. know. Is it? No? No, the old one. Are you one's kidding free. me? <laughs> Blizzard? <laughs> free? <laughs> okay, that was fair. So you can get the original one for free now. Oh, I, okay, because I saw tweets about this. I had not read the story. But Blizzard announced StarCraft Remastered and a patch. So uh, what's StarCraft Remastered, Jeremy? It's in 4K. Uh-huh. Developed by a ghost? Yes. Uh, so it's updated uh, to actually scale out to large size monitors. Which is bizarre for StarCraft, who likes to keep you on a tiny little monitor so you're not cheating. Well, that's that's the, the question, right? Are they? Is it actually? Are you going to see more physical yeah. space, or are you just going to see the the same things sharper? You see more physical space. Really? Wow. It's okay. it's not a huge amount more, but you do see more than you used to mm. on the 640 by 480 screen that we all grew up and loved with. <laughs> I it it's interesting. They also upgraded the cutscenes. Uh, apparently they're going to bring back uh, StarCraft Original on Battle.net, which should be interesting. And that one's free? Like, if you want it to be original, if you oh, want it to man. look like that. I forgot what that looked like. That's fine. <laughs> oh, and the, the 1080p movies, and I'm like, come on, those were some of the Four best movies. Four by three, son? I played StarCraft and Brood Wars, I would guess, a thousand oh, hours. A lot. But yeah, so you take a look at it. 
And see that go back a little bit. I can't. I'm gonna try. Yeah. But some of it, like oh, oh, zoom. There is more space. You see more than you used to. Away, no which is really interesting because <laughs> a bunch of letting you do that is just weird. Well, as long as they let you do it, as long as they let everybody do it the same. Well, can you play? Wait, I'm gonna probably the same scaling factor, no matter what resolution. Look, it says LAN and modern online play. LAN gaming is back. Yes, you still can have LAN games with it. I don't know if you can still have the friend play it if you've got the game and you're allowed to have one person on the same LAN play it. Based on Uh, the audience that plays that game, no, they don't. No, what is it? UDP play that they had for a long time. What is what? What kind of oh. recommended videos are coming up from the Starcraft? <laughs> oh my lord! Well, anyway. they're delitting. Yeah. They're both about delitting. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Did they give a price or a time frame on the remastered? Summer. Okay. And around about twenty bucks, I believe it was. All right, fine. Take my money. Fine, I will pay your twenty dollars. All, All right. right. My cable pick from last week was in the. Moy wrote up a news post about Ada 64 getting an updated version to 5.9, which Ada 64 is a diagnostic and benchmarking tool. Uh, We use it here a lot for, you know, temperature monitoring. Uh, Ken was using it today for um, the terminology of burn in. Thank you. Placing placing a load on a device and waiting to see if it crashes, (laughs) a.k.a. burn in. this updated version now supports Ryzen, um, which we had had some betas uh, at before, so that's an improvement. It also improves support for Kaby Lake X, Skylake X CPUs. What are those? I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, preliminary support for AMD Zen server, uh, Zen server processors. So yeah, if you if you use Ada sixty four, there's an update. It is worth grabbing. Uh, it's a very handy tool to have. I guess anybody else have anything else to say about Ada 64? Was there an Ada 32? I don't know. I want to say there was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they've been emailing me since Ada 32. Yeah, I want to say, yeah, I agree with that sentiment. All right, our last news story. Everybody gets to talk talk to Josh about gloves. Gloves. What do we got? Chapter 11. Are these uh, isotoner? What do we got? Very close. Uh, they're actually, you know, the fabric and a lot of the design was made by uh, Ru- Ruka? I don't know. Roosh. R-U-S-C-H. It's the Reich Group in Italy. They've made gloves. Now, initially, an Air Force pilot in Italy had a father who had a stroke and he wanted to help out in uh, regaining mobility of the guy's hands. So he was kind of a happy-go-lucky electronics hobbyist guy. Mm -hmm. And so he created some gloves with, uh, uh, you know, some, some, a couple of degrees of freedom and, and mobility and, and activation. And he uh, was helping his, his father, uh, in rehab with these and it just kind of built on and on. And eventually he, you know, made a little bit more advanced group and he started working with, uh, you know, fellow air force pilots in some training. Um, and eventually, uh, this Rouge group and, and, and him and others have all got together 
to further improve this to a pretty accurate uh, hand glove control mechanism. So it can do gaming control. It can do VR, AR control. Okay. It applies to Android, uh, iOS, PC, Mac, uh, anything with Bluetooth 4.0, low energy connectivity can connect to this glove and you can uh, pretty much mod it or not so much mod it, but, but apply it to any game out there that requires, you know, some kind of controller movement, pointing, whatever. It's got 10 degrees of freedom. So, you know, you can point it up, down, side to side. Uh, you've got multiple Left, fingers right, that um, will have activations in there. So you can apply that to different buttons, triggers, movement, whatever. And uh, right now it's on Kickstarter. Uh, you can get a single glove for 160 bucks uh, in May. I think uh, Ryan might be getting a, a media preview uh, version here in early May mm-hmm. and uh, use it again with uh, VR, gaming, whatever. Uh, it it whatever. works. Uh, yeah, it, it works what with... What if I need two gloves? Well... Double is is always better, but you know what? It's it's the first two ninety nine for out. a pair of gloves. Two ninety nine, so one hundred sixty one, two ninety nine, and then if you really want highly accurate, you do the what five ninety nine version, and it comes yeah, with extra, extra sensors, sensors you can integrate in. Hmm. So uh, it's uh, an interesting product. It's not terribly horribly expensive. It's not cheap. But it is interesting, and especially if you do VR stuff and uh, you would rather wear a glove like this and control things rather than having uh, an Xbox controller with well, Oculus sure. or, you know, the wands with uh, the Vive, uh, um, it's it's an interesting option. Just one step closer it's, to being Pierce Brosnan and Lawnmower Man. Exactly. There's there's no just haptic lay, feedback lay, yet. Just lay in a hammock, put on those gloves, put on the VR helmet. You'd just be flying around in very polygonal 3D spaces. Polygonal? Yes. Yeah, that's what they... Polygonal, not polygonal. polygonal. No, polygonal. Polygonal. I oh, agree. That no, no, polygonal tech, in Utah. <laughs> so are they machine washable? <laughs> uh, if, you take, if you take the electronics out, which apparently you can do easily, yes. Hmm. Smart. Hmm. That is a smart yes. design. This is a very long Kickstarter page, so there's a lot of detail here. There's a lot of videos. You can actually see how it works. Um, it's it's actually quite interesting. And I'd be curious how this works with, like, uh, Tilt Brush and uh, other such applications. Yeah. That, would be, uh, that would be really interesting. Painting with your index finger rather than kind of your wrist with the wands. Right. So it's a little bit more finer control. And uh, gotcha. I'll be very curious to hear how it goes. Cool. All right, everybody. It is time to get into our hardware and software picks of the week. And oh, uh, yeah, keep stalling, Ryan. Keep stalling. I, uh, hold on. I got to bring up my image. No, don't. Yeah, yeah. No, hold on. Here's mine. Actually, before we jump into that, there was a lot of chatter about last week's. Yeah, there's one guy. Yeah, well, there's a couple comments on YouTube about it, too. One of the graphs, was it for the Optane article? 
one of the graphs was being reported as in milliseconds, but it was actually in microseconds. Which, which, um, I don't know what's happening. Which graph? It was one of the latency graphs. But, but for what? For Optane? I think it was for Optane. I mean, those graphs all came from Intel, so. Ryan Shrack, can you comment about the error last week, about the latency in milliseconds when it was in microseconds, not seconds? You're not telling us where to look. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. No. We'll answer that in the post show. That'll work. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, hardware software picks of the week. Here's mine. It's very simple, everybody. Best Buy sucks. Don't do not do Best Buy? No to Best Buy. Are, are you just learning this now? I go back and forth. Because I did to you recently. Today... I had a Nintendo Classic NES oh. in my cart. Oh, the shopping cart I, I, I bet I tried to do the checkout process 15 times. This is Nintendo sucks, not Best Buy sucks. No, it's Best Buy's fault. They're the one who like built up this big, we're going to launch them all at noon. Make sure you get ready. We're going to launch on our website at noon. You're going to buy a Nintendo Classic and Switches. Isn't it going to be great? You act and like then, you've oh, never wait, tried to buy... buy a product online that, has, that sells out. Never have I seen like, like non-launch day build up in Twitters and Facebook feeds to it and stories on websites about, hey, make sure everybody gets ready for this, and then I can't buy it. Maybe Nintendo should just make enough of it. Maybe it they should. It your first paper launch ever. I would, it was in my cart. It was literally in the cart. Like the whole, like the website part where like you could browse and view things was all working perfectly, but once you had it in cart and you tried to process the cart, everything went to, went to shit. It was like, it was asking me for my address multiple times, telling me, I had to pick it up in store. When I clicked pick up in store, it said, there's no place to pick it up in store within 100 miles of you. And then I go back to shipping and uh, it just timed out. And then eventually uh, Lee came to visit me. And after I got done talking to him, I went back to my cart and the product was no longer available. Hmm. But I literally, it was probably 30 minutes that I was trying to complete a purchase yeah, on it, Best Buy's it website. Wasn't, it wasn't there past Do the you first work for Best Buy? Minutes. Why are you defeating? Why are you defending their crappy, crappy website? E-commerce. Yeah, Come on, Ken. Why are you defending Best Buy? That's how e-commerce Amazon works. Amazon can do it. Bullshit. Amazon does it well, just fine. He that claims to no. be unemployed. Maybe he's looking for a job. <laughs> Best, Best, Best Buy, Buy. PR marketing. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, okay, so that's all I got. Uh, let me bring up the rest of the guys here. Jeremy, what do you got for me? Uh, Beamdog's done it again. They've brought back uh, one of the old gold standards in role-playing games, and this one is probably one of the pinnacles ever designed by Chris Avalon. Planescape Torment, uh, well, they landed the Enhanced Edition. I'm calling it the It Just Works version because good old games brought Planescape Torment back in a way that would run on Windows uh, 7 and above. But you had to mod the hell out of it unless you wanted to play it at 640 by 480 and the mods were not exactly as stable as a stack of Jenga. So you'd get about halfway through and everything would die and you had to nuke it and start again. Gotcha. So this one, install it when it comes out, uh, I believe it's April 8th. It's just going to work. It'll play. It's, again, going to look like that blown up to larger scale. So it's not going to be beautiful, but that's not what you're playing it for. You're playing this for one of the first RPGs that came out where you spend a hell of a lot more time dialoguing and making decisions and role-playing than you do bashing the hell out of 6,000 chipmunks so you can collect the 14 blue Boo. balls to bring back to someone. Fair enough. So 
it's going to be great. If you've never tried it, I honestly recommend doing it, even if you downsample it to 1080 where it doesn't look too bad. Uh, if you've played it before, it's probably going to stand up to what you remember, and you're still going to hate more right up to the very end where you're <laughs> back at the beginning again. All right. Josh. Me. You. Okay, if, if you have a 4K TV and a 4K Blu-ray player, then, uh, probably Planet Earth 2 ooh. is the title you want. It's a little expensive. $40? $40. American Opera. Not only is it shot in 4K, but many scenes are shot above 4K. So, uh, you know, unlike some others that are like, uh, you know, this was shot in 3.4K. So shot a little bit more, more lower than that and upsampled. No, this is this is the real deal. I'm kind of curious what HDR will will be like. I don't have any HDR playback stuff. Yeah, just say but, HDR. Uh, on the, uh, yeah, so it's yeah. it's it. If you want kind of the pinnacle right Buying now, it right now, of of 4K playback with physical media. Yeah, I'm just gonna stream it. Because I'm not buying a 4K Blu-ray player. Whatever. <laughs> Buy an Xbox One S. No. <laughs> don't use okay. my regular Xbox One. Hey, but what if you can have two that you don't use, but Ooh. one of them plays 4K HDR? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Think about it. So anyway, the dogs will love it too. Uh, right? Stunning. Cool. Stunning. Now, so Planet Earth One probably wasn't shot in what? Uh, was it? It was one of the first HD things. Oh, really? Yeah. Like it was, the first it was big. A 2K HD it was one type. of the first Blu-rays. I yeah. Thought, yeah, right, yeah, okay. Like, all right. First 10 AP. Plus, it's got David Attenborough in it, so there you go. It's all got David Attenborough in it. Uh, Alan. Yeah, so um, I'm working on my basement. Hmm. Hmm. Still, eh? Still. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and I don't know anybody that does any kind of woodworking or like trying to frame something out or whatever. And you're trying to get around something. There's a shape somewhere that you need to cut wood around the yep. shape, but you can't mark the exact shape on the piece of wood. It'd be very difficult you can't to get do the wood in the place because it doesn't fit in the shape. It's no, that's why you have like paper template. Oh, well, or this thing, which is like, even, <laughs> I was going to say even more of a fraction of the time. Well, I mean, even if you tried to make a paper template fit in there, you'd have to like make it fit and cut pieces off of it and whatever. Don't somebody agonize. Angleize. Angleize. Yeah. Oh. So somebody just makes a thing that you just basically, you know, you loosen all the four knobs on it and it just kind of flexes around to whatever shape, you know, you just make it sit it in the place where you're trying to measure the right. shape off of. Right. You tighten down the screws and then you take you it over and up, trace it. Did you not just have like like a box full of erector set parts you could have used for this? <laughs> I mean, I probably could have. No, that was a sad event when I moved from New York to Florida when I was growing up. My my grandparents threw away my box of all the random legos and yeah. like erector sets and lincoln logs and it all got trashed yeah. i was very upset for like damn months. them yeah anyway yeah so all that's gone but uh to get to get back at them i've purchased this <laughs> for myself um it's actually bigger than it looks in like it's actually like it's like so you're saying that guy has really big hands yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it, like it showed up and it was a larger thing than i thought it was gonna be which is not a negative. It's, it's that's actually a positive. That's bigger, right, Josh? But um, <laughs> continue. But it's, it's come in handy multiple times, like more times than I thought it was going to come in handy for. Uh, since I got it, so there you go. 
It's like uh, plugins. Don't agonize. Angleize. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> What's wrong with my eyes? Teen states. Alex, you have a pickup here. I do. What do you got? Uh, this is Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun. Okay. Um, there were. Oh, they got the demo. Yes, it has a demo. Oh, sweet. Yes, they had the demo before launch. It was amazing. Um, fully cross-platform, OS X, Windows, Linux, Steam OS. Um, beautiful, beautiful game. Uh, runs great. Um, hmm. It's it's a very it's described as a hardcore strategy game, tactical game. Well, it looks like the old Commandos. That's exactly, did you ever play that? That's exactly what it plays like. Yeah, and, and I looked at because they did sequels to that, which I did not enjoy, but the original one was just brilliant. Yep, there was also the Desperado series. Yeah, the, the uh, there was game. a sh- there, there was a Robin Hood version. There was. Oh, it was not good. <laughs> it was not good. Um, this game, I have died more times than anything else, but it has been the most fun dying I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Already? Cool. So yeah, they have a demo. It's on It's on uh, sale, 25% off on Steam. Can you get the, is the demo on Steam too? Yes, you can. Okay. So. Shadow Tactics, Blades of the Shogun. All right. And the the characters in it are quite interesting. What they do is not maybe what you'd expect, even from a strategy game. Uh, like when I watched the couple of reviews, and like, okay, that's not what I expected, but I could totally use that. It's it's different. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we need that. The, the the funniest part for me is imagining a samurai in full battle armor hiding in a bush. <laughs> Which I just saw in their video, actually. <laughs> yes, you did. That's a big bush. Nice. Uh, Josh. Right, Josh? Uh, no, not going there. Okay. This time. 70s style. We have crossed Josh's line, folks. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just tired. Uh, speaking of which, that's the end of our episode, everybody. Thank you for, for joining us for uh, this episode of the PC Perspective Podcast. The only thing I will say here at the end is uh, everything you need to know is at pcper.com slash podcast. RSS, video files, YouTube links, uh, subscription methods, uh, show notes to all the stories we talked about, et cetera, et cetera. All that is there. PCPro.com slash podcast. We thank you guys for joining us uh, today, and uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Ryan Shrout. Come to the VLAN. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walworth. And I'm Alan Momentan. Bye. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.